All right, let's uh, begin round two. We've got about a half hour to go here, so I'll finish up this discussion. I'll give you some implications and then open it up to Q&A. Again, don't forget, my number's right there. Feel free to text any questions, even if you want to ask about uh, the doctrines that we have covered. I know that we didn't get to as many uh, questions last time about particular atonements. You can ask questions about those. All right, so uh, again, what we're discussing is irresistible grace. And irresistible grace is made up of what two saving acts of God? What are they? Number one, regeneration. regeneration. Number two, effectual call. effectual call. Very good. And uh, we are saying that regeneration is a sovereign awakening of God through the gospel to reverse our, the tragic effects of total depravity to enable us to see Christ for who he is and thus be able to respond uh, in faith uh, in him through the gospel. And one of the things that I said before we left is that regeneration is that which produces uh, the very repentance and faith by which we are saved, which sounds hairy, which sounds pretty crazy. Um, and, and from our vantage point, it, it appears like we repent and believe first, and then we get regenerated. But that's not actually what the Bible says. The Bible actually says the opposite. Now, there's an element of mystery here. But what we see is that uh, what actually happens is that regeneration happens first and then we are uh, uh, enabled to repent and believe. And I'm going to skip a bunch of stuff. It should be your notes. Feel free to to read that. I I think the thing that will be most helpful here that that will prove this assertion that that regeneration produces the repentance and faith by which you are saved is to show you from the Bible that is to show you from the New Testament is that both repentance and faith are gifts from God. Those are gifts given by God. In fact, let's just take a look at um, some texts here. And again, I'm I'm skipping some stuff here so we have some time for for, for Q&A. But uh, yeah, so uh, somewhere um, uh, on on your notes, I say something along, along the lines of, you did not believe first and then get born again. You were born again first, and then as a result of being born again, you were enabled to believe. So what we need to prove is that repentance and faith are gifts from God. Does the Bible say that those are gifts? And as a matter of fact, it does say that. Um, So somewhere on your notes, I talk about repentance as a gift of sovereign grace. Look at Acts 35. Do you see where I'm at? Um, So skip ahead, Acts 5, verse 31. Um, I'm trying to, let me find that, the main, I skipped a lot of pages. So let me... Let me uh, try to make some sense out of this here. Okay, uh, do you see the section where it says how regeneration happened in the notes? Ah, thank you. Page 21. Does it say repentance as a gift of sovereign grace? And then Acts 5? Page 26. Very good, okay, very good. Thank you very much. Repentance as a gift of sovereign grace. So, so just we'll, we'll read the text and then we'll explore the implications of this. Acts 5.31. So therefore, God exalted Christ as ruler and savior to his right hand in order to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. What does that mean when, when God gives or grants repentance? At the very least, it means repentance is a gift. That doesn't mean that we're not responsible to repent because there are the multiple commands, repent and believe. At the same time, 
this is the element of mystery, although we are commanded and responsible and accountable to repent and believe. At the exact same time, the New Testament clearly says, repentance, the very repentance with, you, which, with which you expressed and turned from your sin, that repentance was a gift that was given to you. Look at another text, Acts eleven eighteen, And when they, sort of the combative Jews, heard these things, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, so God gave also the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. God granted it. The, repent, the, the Gentiles repented. They turned from their sin. What was the final summation of, of, these, of these people as they looked upon that event? God gave them their repentance, the very repentance with which they repented and turned from their sin. Look in 2 Timothy 2.25. Paul's giving instructions to Timothy about pastoral ministry, and he says, with gentleness, correcting those who place themselves in opposition, if perhaps God should give them repentance to the knowledge of the truth. Be be patient with them, with gentleness, correct them. Maybe God will give them repentance. And, And we just live in that strange tension of people are responsible to repent. And when they do repent, at the end of the day, what do we say? They were responsible, but yet that repentance with which they turned away from their sin was a what? A gift given to them by God. And what does this do for us? You know, you know uh, in what way does this practically just even shape our perspective about our conversion? What does this do for us as we reflect upon our own repentance and faith? What does it do for us? What's the effect of, of these texts that show that repentance is a gift given to us by God? It, it's all God. It's all God. Exactly. Increases our gratitude. It increases our gratitude. Yeah, there was a controversy one time that said confession and repentance is necessary for salvation. Yes. And then the other camp said no because that's a work. That's right. This clears that up. It totally does, 100%. You're right. The terms are repentance and faith. But, but nowhere would anyone say who is reading the Bible would say, yeah, but if you repent and, 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 you know, all that repentance is and means, no one would say, well, that is a meritorious act for which you deserve your salvation, for which you are entitled salvation. No one believes that. And you're right. This clears everything up. Absolutely. What else does this do? How, what else does this produce in us? How does this shape our perspective, even upon our own repentance and conversion? More dependence on God. Absolutely. Absolutely. We, we, were, we were completely dependent. Uh, we are, and it all began even then, that the very repentance with which we expressed and turned from our sin, we were dependent upon God even for that. How does that work? Mm-hmm. But, but what it does show is that, and, and what it does do is it eliminates all human boasting, doesn't it? It guards us from, from feelings of superiority over other people. Why doesn't that person repent? Well, why did you? Well, because I'm, I'm not awesome. God granted me repentance. You're right. You, you know, so it, it's this total, um, you know, uh, launch pad for, for humility. Okay, let's look at faith. Uh, repentance is clearly a gift of sovereign grace. You are responsible to do it at the same time, at the end of the day. 
It is a gift. And at the end of the day, what I'm arguing is it is a result of and a byproduct of your regeneration. Faith, and again, the notes before this section goes into more depth on that, so you can read that, and, and I think it would be more appropriate to, um, for you to read that um, on your own after. But faith as a gift of sovereign grace. Look at this, Acts 18, 27. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, uh, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. This is talking about Paul. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those, notice, who had believed through grace. Meaning what? You believed through grace. What does that mean? You were enabled. What's that? God gave you the power to do it, right? In, at some level, he, he, you, know, you could very rightly say, he produced the faith. He gave you the faith. Now, does that mean you're not responsible to believe? Well, we don't have to share the gospel with them because God's just going to give them faith anyway. Do we, does anyone believe that? You shouldn't because how does regeneration happen? Through what means? Something, yeah, the gospel, right? So there has to be truth there. There has to be content there. Look at another one, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. This one's a bit of a controversy. Not a controversy, but there's debate about this. Uh, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from you. It is the gift of God. Not from works in order that not anyone should boast. Now, notice. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from you. It is the gift of God. Two questions. What is the this and what is the it? (laughs) What are the possibilities? For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. What are the possible options of the this and the it? Because they're referring to the same thing. Exactly, exactly. That's the, at the very least, that's what Paul's trying to drive home. You can't save yourself. There's no part of your salvation that you get the credit for. Agreed? Exactly. Well put, Robert. Um, what were you going to say? That the this refers to the faith. The this refers to the faith. Okay, there, there's one option. I happen to believe that option. But what's another option that people have? That, that people say that the this and the it refers to what? Grace. It refers to grace or salvation. By grace you have been saved, and this is not from you. Why doesn't that, well, I guess that's not fair to corner you if that's not your position. I, I, <laughs> I'm going to make you believe this. Uh, I don't think it works to say that the this and the it are referred to here, because look at the text. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from you. If the this refers back to being saved, This is not from you. He already said that when he said, by grace you have been saved. That's overly redundant. By grace you have been saved, and this is not from you. Well, that's what you just said. But you see, in in Greek grammar, one of the things that I think we have to keep in mind is that when there's words like this or it, and you, you have a question, it's like, okay, well, what does it refer to? Well, you look for fancy terminology here, the nearest antecedent. You look for the nearest antecedent, meaning what was the last thing that he mentioned? And, wh- and, and what is the last thing? E- even, even spatially in the text, what is the last thing he talked about? 
faith. And it makes sense contextually, doesn't it? For by grace, Paul's whole argument in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 is to show us that there is not one single thing we ever did that in any way merited or earned our salvation. And his point here is not even your own faith was ultimately from you. It is tatoran theu. It is the gift of God. The nearest antecedent is faith, and I believe that is the issue. Because any other issue, any other thing that you take that to refer to, I think it makes redundant. I think the context uh, uh, makes it point towards faith as being the gift of God. And even if it wasn't, there are other texts that describe faith as a gift. So even if you could prove to me that Ephesians 2, 8, 9 doesn't refer to that, you still have to contend with Philippians 1, 29, which says, because to you it was granted... Ekariste, ekariste, karis. What's that word in Greek? Grace. To you, it was graced, not only to believe, but to suffer on his behalf. What was graced to you? What was a gift of grace to you? What does he say? Two things. To do what? To to believe and then to suffer. Uh, I like the first one. (laughs) I'm not super excited about the second one. Nevertheless, that has profound implications for suffering in this life, doesn't it? It's akariste. It's graced to us. It's a gift. Faith is a gift. And what I'm arguing is that it is a result of and a byproduct of our regeneration. The very repentance and faith with which we place in Christ was enabled by the work of regeneration. Okay, so let me give you a couple implications, uh, <clears throat> eight actually, and, uh, and then we'll have time for questions. Maybe I won't give you all eight, maybe I'll be nice to you. But, you know, one of the things that, that I am not particularly good at is being, being practical, and, and I've always had to really work at, okay, all right, here's this doctrine that I understand conceptually. I need to connect the dots to my life practically. I need to see how it actually connects to my life. So here's some implications of, of the new birth. Actually, before we look at them, you tell me. Uh, let me hear from you. As we talk about uh, new birth and regeneration, what do, you, what do you feel are the implications of this doctrine that rise to the surface for you? How, how do you see this already changing the way you think and the way you approach things? How, what, what sort of life change should this bring to your lives? What do you see? What are the implications? It makes you much more aware of your sin. It does. Yeah. How, how so, Robert? Well, because, you know, prior to being born again, you, things you would do were, yeah, it's no big deal. Yeah. But now it's like, hey, that's not kosher. Yes, very good. That, that's a great, I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that. That's really good. Being born again makes us alert even to the, the heinousness of our sin and even the subtlety of our sin that otherwise, being dead, we wouldn't have even cared about. But now, it's like, you know, we, we feel the weight and the ugliness of our sin. Yeah, great, great insight. Yeah, what else? It says, uh, put on Christ and not allow for any lust of the flesh. Absolutely. Good, good. So, so would you say, Carlos, that regeneration uh, is even that which enables us to, to fulfill that verse, right? That, that regeneration even supplies us with what we, what we need to not give in to the lust of the flesh? Is that kind of where you were going with that? Very good. Great insight. Yeah, what else? What, what are the implications that you see here rising to the surface? It should make us so grateful yeah. that 
the thought of living in sin would just break our hearts because of what God has done for us. Absolutely. Yeah. When we recount, okay, what did God have to do to rescue me? What what would the sovereign awakening, the, the what he had to do to free me from the chains and dungeon of my sin? It's like, well, why would you go back to the dungeon? Why well, would you slap him in the face? Right. Right, absolutely. I mean, you think about the hymn, you know, long my imprisoned spirit lay in, in nature's, uh, uh, how does it go? I've got it somewhere. I've got it somewhere. See if I can, if I can find it. It is worth recounting. Fast bound in sin. Fast bound in sin and nature's night, thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. The chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, why would we go back? Why would we go back? Well said. To cure for the apathy. Yeah. Which can happen. Absolutely. It can. Yeah, yeah. So there's even a sense of like if we really, I mean, imagine, imagine if, if what you did was, okay, I'm going to take 10 minutes a week. I don't know why you would do this, but you should. It would actually be a good idea. I'm going to take 10 minutes a week and only think about the new birth. I'm just going to remind myself every week, once a week, for 10 minutes, the new birth, regeneration, what God had to do. And I believe that, if you did that, that would cure so much apathy that just naturally creeps up, right? Because you just remember, okay, this is what God had to do to awaken me. So many things in our lives, the, the cold hand of apathy would, would, be, would be melted, yeah. His sufficiency. Yeah. In, in what sense? In all things. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, his sufficiency to awaken us from spiritual death in the first place, and since he did that, therefore we can have the assurance that he is sufficient for all other things in our life after that. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. Yeah, well said. Well said. He is sufficient not only for uh, to awaken us in in regeneration, but even for everything that we endure. Every day. Yeah. Good. Well said. Well said. Any other thoughts? Yeah, Peter. So when you're witness, witnessing to somebody, the, the, the weight of, I have to convince this person is not, it's not me convincing them. Yes. Yes. I'm so glad you brought that up. In fact, that's one of my implications. In fact, you're taking all my implications. What's that? Oh, uh, what he said is, is that it frees you from the weight of feeling that like you have to be the one to convince them. Because if God is the one that awakens them, well, you present the truth, you let the lion out of its cage, and you let the truth do the work. Yeah, well said. I'm glad you brought that up because, um, you know, it, it does. It lifts a huge burden off of our souls. To, it's like, well, I've got to be crafty enough. I've got to know enough. I've got I to whip out some, you know, PhD-level gospel presentation to convince them. And, and you know, and I've got to convince them that there was a real fish in Jonah or, you know, that swallowed him. It's like... You don't. You don't got to do that. You don't have to ha- answer every objection. You, you give them the truth, and the truth is what God uses to awaken people from the grave. Total load off our shoulders, right? Well said. Now, what else? These are, these are great. You're taking all my implications, by the way. I don't even need to give you these. Yeah, what else? It's liberating. Like he was saying. It is very liberating. Liberating in evangelism. Liberating in your own efforts to try to please God. It doesn't give us license yes. to sin, but it's, it's liberating. Because for many of us, like you're saying, 
when our spirit is dead and it's regenerated, we have this grief over our sin that, yeah. mm-hmm. that comes along with it. Absolutely. And out of that grief, we pursue righteousness. Yeah. And we can't attain it. That's and so good. this understanding that God did all the work liberate. It is, absolutely. And, and I'm glad you brought up, Sai, the fact that, you know, I think regeneration gives us the freedom to fight sin, knowing that even if and when we fail, we don't have to win God over again with good works because, because we are already regenerated, which allowed us to exercise faith, which that faith connected us to everything Christ accomplished, including reconciliation and adoption and justification. The work is already done. Right? We don't have to win God back and manipulate him with, with some good works to win back his affections. The work is already done, so it's, it's very liberating. Very liberating. I'm, I'm glad you said that. And we don't have to strain to bear fruit. Right. Well, yes and no. Yes and no. Because it, it is war and a, and a battle to, to obey, and it is a struggle, right? At the same time, in and with and under and through our struggle, is the supernatural work of fruit bearing, right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, so it's both end. It's both end. Yeah, really good. Here's one more for the parents. Uh, I think the new birth, and, I, and I'm not the perfect embodiment of this at all. This will be the last implication. You guys got the rest. Uh, I, the new birth can and should uh, transform how we parent our children. And, 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 even, and even, let's say, um, you know, e- even if you don't have kids yet, um, it can still shape the way you do childcare or work in children's ministry or, or any other kids' ministry because, because regeneration liberates us from the fearful tyranny of thinking that we are the ones ultimately responsible to get our kids saved. It, it frees us from that. It's the same kind of issue you were talking about. Now, that doesn't give us license to be kind of, you know, hands-off, laissez-faire, well, whatever, you know, just God's going to save my kids anyway. No, I mean, we, we be like, you know, linebackers and, and we are constantly just pushing and pushing in a really nice, gracious, winsome way, uh, you know, um, you know, indoctrinating our kids, you know, and, and, um, but it, it, uh, but what it should do is make us the kind of parents who parent in such a way that we help our kids see that the, what they need is not just a change in their external behavior, but what they need is a new heart. Again, I think I've mentioned this before here. You don't have to follow this model, but one of the things we do at home, we sit a kid on our lap, and, and we say, um, you remember why we give consequences, right? Yes. Why do we give consequences? Um, to show you uh, that sin is what? Sin is serious. Right. Um, and we also give you consequences to show you that you need a What? I need a new heart, exactly. And who can give you a new heart? Christ. And what did Christ do for sinners? He died for sinners. Are you a sinner? Yes. What do you need? A new heart. That's why we give consequences. The sting on your bottom reminds you of the sting of sin in your soul and all of this. So, so you just work through every discipline interaction is an opportunity to, to help them see their need for new birth. Do, do you see? And, and their need for grace. So regeneration frees us from that. One word about effectual calling. Here's what effectual calling is. So you get all that as new birth, one sentence on effectual calling. Here you go. Uh, and, it, and it totally makes sense, and, and, and we could spend more time on it. I think this is sufficient. Effectual calling means that now we are able to hear, understand, 
and savingly respond to the salvation call of God in the gospel. That's, that's all effectual calling means, is that we hear the call of God in the gospel, either in the word or through a preached message. Regeneration allows us to be able to hear, understand, savingly respond to the salvation call of God in the gospel. Okay, questions? Uh, actually, what do we got? <laughs> no questions. Okay, that's no problem, no problem. Do you, do you, have, do you have any questions about stuff we cover? Anything at all? Because if you don't, I've got one more thing I'll, I'm going to cover with you. I'm, 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 I'm squeezing this thing till 7 o'clock. Yes, I. So when you are regenerated um, and you hear the effectual call, that's instantaneous, right? I believe so. Now, now, whatever instantaneous means, you know, it's, it's this in real time and it's not a long, drawn-out process of events. So, yeah. And um, I don't know if you... you had this experience, or all of you guys understand this, can there be a span of time between that and conversion? Yeah, that, that's a good question. I mean, maybe, the, like, the scripture doesn't give us, you know, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't parse that out. It just, it just tells us, well, and I'll even put it this way, this was actually going to be part of what I was going to give you guys, is that um, when you think about so, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure time elapsed between the two. You know, I think that the scripture seems to give the indication that those two things are pretty close together. Um, but again, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's case by case. All I know is that regeneration is instantaneous and conversion is a result of that. But, but let me do this. This may or may not answer your question, but... Probably not, but anyway, I'm going to give it to you guys anyway. Uh, when you think, there's a, there's a fancy word uh, to try to make sense of um, our salvation, and the word is this. It's a little Latin here for you. I don't even know if I know how to spell this. What, how do you spell? I-S. I-S, thanks. Okay, this means order of salvation. Okay, what, what is the order in which we got saved? What, what things happened Logically, chronologically. And first, what would be the first thing as far as the chain of events, chains of th- chain of things that happened in our salvation? What was first? Election. Election, right? So way back here was election in eternity past. And then I think, obviously, there's the, there's the death of Christ. So we'll, we'll assume that. But I think the next thing that happens... is regeneration as far as the order of things. This has to happen first. This happens in real time. When this happens, what do you hear? The call, the effectual call. Running out of real estate here. Maybe we'll do... And then here is conversion. And again, time elapsed between this and this. It seems like that once you, once you come to an understanding of who Jesus Christ is, once you see and savor him in the gospel, I, I, I'm not sure why there would be much time before this happens. And, and what two things make up conversion? There, there's two things that, that sort of a, a, a coin, let me draw a coin for you. 
Hey, look at that. That doesn't really look like a coin, but you get the point. Here's one side of the coin. There's the other side. The two-sided coin of conversion contains what two things? Repentance and uh, yeah, uh, faith. Yeah, yeah. I think I think confession would be kind of all, you know, probably just another word for that. So, so there's the order, election first, regeneration, then we hear the effectual call, and the inevitable result of these things is our conversion, which is, consists of repentance and faith. I think that's the, the order. And then our faith connects us to Christ and everything he accomplished with his death. Reconciliation, forgiveness, adoption, justification, everything in the, in the new covenant that he purchased. So long answer to a short and good, well-worded question. I'm not sure, but it seems like, Sai, that the time elapsed would have to be short because once you get here, once this happens to you, what's keeping you from this? But again, we know lots of people where they struggle with faith for years and years. Augustine, for years, decades, in fact. So that's a good question. So it's not hard to parse out individual lives, we just kind of have to make sense of it the best we can. Well, I, I'm asking because uh, let's say, you know, you know, uh, we don't understand, or we don't, Paul says we don't seek after God. That we are dead in our sins. We are uh, haters of God. We, are, we have enmity with God. Yeah. And regeneration changes that in someone. Yeah, it does. And then they begin to seek after God, but they don't come in contact with the gospel yet. Am I wrong in that understanding? Well, the the only thing that's not quite right about that is that the only way this happens is through the gospel. Yeah, exactly. And if the person does hear the gospel that doesn't understand it quite yet, let's say they go to a church where they're not preaching the gospel necessarily, they're preaching something like the prosperity gospel, and that person never gets to that point of (laughs) grieving over their sin that drives their repentance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's why I'm asking, because sometimes that can take a long time before yeah. a person does get to that point. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's those kinds of situations where, and, and you've probably all met someone, maybe you were the person in the very situation where it's like they're exposed to truth and they're wrestling and they're battling and they're struggling. I don't know. I don't know. What, what do I do? What, what do I believe? And, and, and I would say, you know, I, I don't know what's happening there. I mean, something's happening. God's doing something. I would say the moment when they go, okay, all right, I give, I give, I, I, I believe. Seconds before that, minutes, this happened. I, w- I would say. Again, individual experiences are hard to parse. So what we could do is go off what the Bible tells us and then make sense of our experience based off the text. But I would say this kind of thing happened when they went, I give. Yeah. I think there are some people that get so hung up in an apologetic question that it it's interrupts that flow until they reach some point of understanding or they do, like you said, they say, I give up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and by apologetic, what do you mean? Like they're trying to, you know, find out, you know, all the historicity of the Bible. Can I trust it? And this wrestling, yeah. Which some of that, you know, some 
some people are, you know, like, they, they feel like they need to figure that out, and maybe they do, you know, and so, but, but I, I see what you're saying, that sometimes that could be wrong-headed, you know, to try to track down all these proofs, and yeah, I, I, I think I see what you're saying. Uh, other, other questions, what, what else do you have about this issue, or even other things that we talked about in the past? What would be most helpful for you? Any, any points of clarification? Yeah, Peter. So I was talking uh, with Laura the other day about, you know, when you actually get, get saved. Speak up. And I, I can think oh, of a did. time, you know, when I was, like I was five years old or so, when my dad was explaining it to me. Mm. We were on his bed, and he, and I accepted Christ. You know, and, and what's so great about this is that even a child can, under, you know, can be saved. Yeah. And then, because uh, we were saying, well, Laura says, well, I can't, I can't really think of a moment like that. Yeah. That doesn't mean she's any less saved mm-hmm. than I am. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's just that she can't pinpoint it to when that transaction. Right. You know, and, and my understanding at that time, you know, was very limited, mm-hmm. but still enough. I mean, or yeah. God had, you know, I mean. Uh, well, anyway, maybe it's well said. Yeah. So what he said was is that he remembers as a five year old uh, being on dad's bed, hearing the gospel, wanting Christ, and the the miracle of that even a young little kid uh, can have an authentic conversion experience. Right? You knew enough. Obviously, you, you couldn't uh, you know dissect the wonders of the Trinity at that point, but you knew enough to 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 be saved. And he said that it was it your wife that you were saying that, yeah. And he said that his wife can't necessarily pinpoint a clear day like that when like yeah, there's the date on the calendar when I when I repented and believed that was the day. And Peter's point was, in one sense, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because whether we have a day on the calendar that we remember, like I do, my wife does, uh, or whether for someone else it felt like a long process and one day they just went, wait, I believe this. When did, I, when did this start meaning everything to me? I don't remember. You know, you know what I do? Just shrug my shoulders. I don't know. All I know is what happened in both was regeneration. <laughs> when? I don't know. That's, I'm not really concerned about that. And, and again, you know, that's why, you know, and, I, and I've said this before, I think, you know, I think sometimes in, in sort of a, 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 an American way of doing Christianity, we can really be riveted on the date on the calendar. And, and if you have a date on the calendar in which you, you got saved, well, then, then great, if that's your story. Some people get really bent out of shape or they'll say, I don't know if I'm a Christian, but you know what, you know what? On September 23rd, 1971, I prayed, and, and, I, and, and they essentially put their faith in the date on the calendar. And I don't, I don't know if that's really that great to do. I don't think that's such a wise thing to do, because the, the issue is not necessarily the date on the calendar. Maybe that was the date, and maybe it wasn't. The real issue is, so when I talk to people who are questioning and have you know, doubts about their salvation, and who are kind of like, oh, I'm not really sure, it's like, but, but well, when I was seven, I, you know, I, I prayed to receive Christ, and I got baptized, and they're 20, let's say they're 25 now. And well, what's it been like since then? Well, I've been pretty much living in sin and sleeping with my girlfriend and, you know, whatever. Um, and, uh, and it's like, but, you know, I know I'm saved because back then, on, on that day, and I just go, 
yeah, I'm not sure that you should put your faith in the date on, on that calendar. Because the real question is, do you trust in Christ today, right now? That's the issue. You know, do, do you hold fast to him as the highest treasure of the soul? It, 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 do you cling to him and, and not, you know, some kind of, you know, fixed date on the calendar? Um, and that's another thing, and this, is, this will be really touchy, is that I think we should be careful um, about how we understand what salvation looks like in someone's life. I've, I've, I've heard many, back in Spokane, there are many college students be like, well, at five or six or seven or eight, I, I prayed to receive Christ. I lived in total rebellion for a decade, but now I'm recommitting my life today. And I go, well, eesh. I struggle with that a little bit because, because that decade of indifference and rebellion and just living in sin, and, and, and so what I, t- what I have said to them is like, well, where is, where is recommitment in the Bible? It's not actually in the text. I think we have to be careful of that when we're, when we're working with our children towards salvation. It's mm-hmm. because I, mm-hmm. I, I go back to my own personal experience where I was also five when I, I guess a very official gospel message was presented to me. I mean, I grew up in the church, so it always had been in my life. Yeah. And it was kind of this, like, make a decision right now. And, I mean, I remember being five and feeling the pressure. And all I thought was, like, I just don't want to burn in hell. Like, that yeah. was my only thing. It wasn't the love for the gospel that, yeah. in that moment, I did a prayer. And then I went through two decades of life where I struggled with my faith. And there was always this itch, like, it's not... It's, I'm not saved. And every time I brought it up to someone who I would have thought would have been spiritually more mature than me, they said, but you were saved when you were five. We saw you walk down. You were in VBS. You're doing all these great things. You were baptized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would say, but I'm feeling like there's not that fruit that we're talking about. And for two decades of my life, the church I was in kept referring to me to that date mm-hmm. and my baptism date. Mm-hmm. Even though... I was a good girl, but there really wasn't true fruit yeah. of salvation in my life. Yeah, yeah. And that's very that. confusing, and I think we have to be careful with our children that we don't box them into that. Yeah. And we have to understand, and I think it's the individual child, where their maturity really lies. And um, we can see that in our children, where our children are growing affectionate for certain things of the gospel, but they are not saved. Mm. Mm. I mean... And I think we have to be just really careful about that. And then also, as people are coming with, um, I think, difficulties in their walk, like you said, helping them really evaluate, are you truly saved? Because I wouldn't want to be that person that kept pointing to a date. Yeah. And those people aren't truly saved. Exactly, exactly. And it wasn't for our pastor before that basically pointed out, like, I wasn't truly saved. And I didn't like that, Mm. even though I think I was longing for that. Mm. I didn't like it for three or four years, you know, yeah, he kept reminding me about it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's well said. And I think, and I think that's wise. And, and I think, you know, it's like, okay, well, you know, so I tell the college students like, okay, well you went through 10 years of rebellion and rejection and indifference to sin and to the Lord. Now you believe I go, well, you probably just got saved. Correct. You you probably just got saved. I wonder if that's kind of like, that's what we were just saying is, for people that all of a sudden have that aha moment, like, oh, I wonder if it's just their journey getting to that moment. Because I truly believe it is in that moment, like you said, that come, like that you're from dead, you know, death to life. Whether we perceive it consciously or not, right. we see the effects of it, though. But yeah. I wonder if there's, for some of us, because it is so individual, I wonder if the build up to that pure moment, like you can go through a decade of building up to that one moment of 
of regeneration. Mm. Yeah, no, that's so very I true. So I think there's some people that hear it one time, and it happens. Yeah. And then there's people, I feel like me, it took my whole, it took 25 years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the stories are different, but the transaction beneath it is the same. Yeah, well said. Last thing I'll say, then, then we're done. Uh, also, this, you know, uh, I always kind of cringe when people say, well, I don't have a very exciting, you know, testimony. Uh, I didn't hit rock bottom. I didn't wake up in, in the alley of, of Burbank, California with a needle hanging out of my arm. I, you know, that wasn't me. And, and that's not exciting. And I just want to stop them and grab them by the, by the face and, and just look at them and say, do you understand that, that your testimony is just as exciting as any other testimony because it's not about your personal story. It's about what God has done to awaken you to, to new life. That is the story. That's the news. That's the headline. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time to discuss doctrine and theology. It is rich and thick and, and beyond our capacity. And thank you for sustaining us, Lord, and energizing us. And I pray that as we leave here that uh, we would be more shaped and nourished and, and transformed and that you would give us deeper wells with which to uh, reach people in our lives. Lord, I pray that we would be a gospel proclamation church and, and that we would be a church that learns how to parent better because of how we understand doctrine. And, and so, Lord, we, we just want to see you work and you use your word to do so. So we just look forward to how you will work through your word to transform us and to use us to impact the lives of others. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you guys so much. Uh, the next one will be uh, in a couple weeks. Oh, in November, we're spending a whole night in the book of Revelation. I can't wait. But the last installment of this the whole night, all nighter. Uh, in, in a couple weeks. In a couple weeks, I'll, I'll put a, I'll, we'll advertise it.